You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob Osell. I'm an architect at this.labs. Today, we're very excited to discuss automated web accessibility testing and just web accessibility in general with Adrian Bolonio. He's an accessibility software engineer at GitHub. Uh, uh, Adrian, how are you doing today? Yeah, hi. Thank you for inviting me to to discuss about uh, accessibility and testing. Uh, Really good. I'm, 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 I'm excited. It's a nice topic. So people that are avid purveyors of all of our this.media content may remember you from the state of accessibility event we had a couple months ago. But for those of you that just enjoy the Modern Web podcast, uh, we had an opportunity to sit down uh, with Adrian a little while ago, uh, but we didn't get a chance to really dig into his topic about uh, automated accessibility testing and kind of what it can offer and the limitations that it might have. So super excited uh, to to be able to have that conversation today. I know as soon as that other event ended, I immediately ran out and I said, book him on the podcast because I need to be able to have this conversation that we didn't get to have in this event. So (laughs) I'm super excited, nerded out to have this conversation today. Um, But to get us started, I kind of was just curious if you could kind of walk us through how it is you arrive at your position. You know, I I love, especially in positions that maybe are less common in the industry, you know, some people are very passionate about accessibility and they might not even have been aware that being an accessibility engineer is even a career path. So kind of walk us through, you know, how you built your passion for accessibility and how you arrived in your position. Sure. Um, I think I've, uh, as far as I remember, I've I've always been a front-end developer, um, working with uh, good old days PHP, jQuery, MoTools, and all this, all these technologies, and slowly moving um, through JavaScript and frameworks, Angular One, and uh, slowly to to React, where I I work mostly with 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 that framework in the past. Um, and all started with me going to meetups and conferences and um, wanted to dig more into public speaking and, I don't know, um, contributing with the community. And there was an opportunity to talk in a meetup and I didn't know what topic to cover because everyone was like, yeah, give a talk. It's easy. It's, it's, it's fun. We are, we are not a lot of people here. So, and I, I chose accessibility because I, I, I saw it in the, in the internet at that time that was like five six years ago there was not a lot of resources to dig in so I, I thought it was like a, a interesting topic that not a lot of people is covering um, so I started digging uh, and I always say that when you give a talk or when you write an article you are learning more than the people who, who's um, listening or reading the uh, the article uh, or the talk? Um, so I really learned a lot uh, researching about the topic that I wanted to talk about, um, and I said, "Wow, this this is an interesting topic. Not only technically, but morally." For me, it was like, "Wow, this is, I I can make an impact on the users uh, with this topic." So then, yeah, second talk came. So same topic, but a different talk. Uh, more conferences, um, and I had the opportunity in my previous company 
uh, or in the company that I was working on um, to lead a project from scratch. Um, I was the uh, engineer manager and front end lead for that project. And since we we could we could uh, do the the things from scratch, then that was super easy to implement any principle. I'm talking about accessibility principles here, but good practices, monitoring, uh, testing, nice debugging. So when you have this opportunity, then everything is simple. Everything is simpler. Um, and I started to, to, to continuously try to build this culture, this team culture in where everyone is aware of web accessibility. You don't need to have all the knowledge. You just need to know that you need to do it this exists and you know where to where to look when you when you need to to find a solutions uh, or a examples or read some documentation and yeah all of a sudden uh, someone from github contacted me and to give a talk in an internal conference not internal sorry but a, like a small conference uh, in spanish uh, it's called github presente and this is in spanish and portuguese um, for the community in Spain and Latin, Latin America and Brazil and Portugal. And after that, they were building the new team, new accessibility team. And I had the luck that uh, I joined the team in the early phase of the, uh, of the, uh, of the team, yeah. And it is, it is a career path. Um, you, can, you can dedicate your development uh, time to ensure that the platform, the product, the products, the platforms that you are, your company is doing um, are accessible. Uh, the same as we have SREs because they invest time in make our uh, products more reliable and security officers and we have QA engineers, but then we have accessibility software engineers. You know, it's such a great point that you make too. I, you know, we're big advocates here of mentorship and of course people getting out there and uh, presenting things because we, uh, we agree that, you know, when you have to explain something to somebody else, you may only be imparting a small amount of knowledge, but the amount of knowledge you need to know to properly contextualize and explain that nugget of knowledge and have it be condensed down to what is understandable, you will have to learn much more than you'll actually teach. Uh, so I, I agree that, you know, that's a great opportunity, a great chance that you took or opportunity that you took to uh, let yourself learn all of that information in order to be able to relay it. So yeah. one of the things which is sort of interesting with uh, accessibility, or at least I guess it's intimidating in some ways, is that it's one of the things in which um, while people might have individual skill levels with it, it's one of the things that people struggle a lot with with empathy. Um, I, you know, I do agree with the sentiment that in some ways, all of us are disabled at, at some point, at least at some point in our lives, uh, to varying degrees. Uh, but I think that while some people can maybe empathize with what might be an aesthetic user design or, you know, a, uh, or an intuitive user design, or they might be able to understand what it means for something to be slow and not performant. I think for some people, one of the biggest things that they struggle with when they really get into accessibility is kind of just not knowing what their what their uh, their programs look like, feel like, sound like uh, to people that are coming at it from you know any other position of disability. I'm kind of curious how you 
how you yourself uh, kind of got over this hump of either that being sort of the thing that was uh, blocking you or intimidating you um, and how you might uh, sort of help others get over that. Yeah, that that's that's definitely true. I sometimes I start my talk um, with a couple of images of, of real world situations, and I mention that it is very obvious for us to to see that a, a building without a ramp and it is not accessible because someone with a wheelchair then will not be able to to access a, a building. But it is not so obvious when we move to the digital world, right? It is not obvious to see your product or website navigate. Of course, you navigate with the mouse. You 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 don't have any any um, strong disability, uh, visual disability. So you can see, you can you can understand what it is in the website. It is difficult. You mentioned it. It is difficult uh, to to have this empathy with um, with visually impaired people. So how how are other users using your the same product that you are using, right? You're using a, a screen and you're using a mouse. And some other people are using a keyboard and a screen reader. And it is exactly the same product. It is exactly the same information and it is exactly the same functionality. But it's not the same way that we consume this data, this functionality. The same as um, you can consume a video using a screen and and. and watching the video and listening to the video. Um, but you might be a situational disabled that you are in the underground subway and then you have so much sound around you that you want to watch the video with subtitles because you cannot hear the video. So uh, this is where the empathy start to come. When you are forced to consume data, functionality, uh, websites, in a different way. And this is where you are starting to understand. Um, there's one specific uh, thing that we cover in the uh, roundtable last time, which is the uh, invisible disabilities. Um, we're talking about cognitive disabilities. The way that someone interprets interpretate, um, data, it is very important. For um, What is very clear for you is not that clear for someone else. This button who says um, continue or delete, some people would say delete what or continue to mm -hmm. where. I, I, I'm not understanding. I don't have the full context and you immediately have it. So it is a, it is a work of education and we mentioned it as well. It is a cultural change um, to start from the technical world because we are engineers and we, we build technical and, and digital products. And if we are starting this cultural chain to build products and stop our development process and say, hey, wait, am I doing this for everyone or am I doing this only for a, for a specific group of people or for a specific group of users? It is all a cultural change more than education as knowledge i know you know how to use html i know how to, you know how to use javascript or react or, or angular whatever framework you need to understand the implications of using one element or the other one i think this is this is an, an important topic i think accessibility is worthy for its own sake but i do think that it is interesting to tell people 
some of the side benefits that accessibility practices do. It's not just a it's it's not just a headwind that people have to push against. It's not an imposition. It's not like a a thing that we have to put up with or that constrains us. I, I think in some ways it makes our systems better, even for people that aren't actively experiencing any form of of disability. You know, one of the examples I love to give people is, uh, you know, if you've ever had to use a website that isn't keyboard accessible. Uh, for example, if uh, my son is very small, so he often likes to jump up in my lap and watch TV or, or you know watch a video. And when he's doing that, sometimes I have my other hand off to the side trying to maybe do something. And you can definitely tell a difference on sites that are keyboard accessible versus ones that are not. Uh, it can be very frustrating sometimes to use them. Uh, you know, for contrast, you might be in a a situation where you have the brightness down on your phone. Maybe it's it's nighttime, you're in a, a dark room and you have your contrast turned down and now you just can't read anything that's on the screen because the contrast isn't strong. Or power users who want to be able to use the keyboard in order to do things quicker or you know, having searchable text by, by, by uh, putting, you know, like you said, subtitles, of course, has a benefit as well. But if you have transcripts, making all of your video content now searchable, there are just the list of benefits of accessible content go on and on, even if uh, as a user, you may never need those benefits, you'll benefit from them anyways. This is, this is, this is a, a powerful statement. Like who is benefit uh, or who, who is benefiting or for whom is beneficial the accessibility is for everyone. You, you mentioned just three or four uh, situations where it's beneficial for you without you noticing that you are situational disabled. Let's not talk about when you drop your computer and then you break your screen and then you need to buy a urgent flight or urgent things uh, and you don't have a second screen. So you need to use a screen reader or you don't have your glasses with you that day because you forgot them. You don't have your mouse with you and you need to navigate through a website using the tab key as someone else would do. Or I don't know, you're a strong gamer, PC gamer, and then you, you really strong a uh, keyboard navigator. So uh, web accessibility is not just keyboard navigation, color contrast, or screen readers. Accessibility is, is, is really a perfect indicator of the quality of a website. I mean, when a website is accessible or website digital product, it usually means that it's inclusive, usable, offers a great user experience for everyone, and is also fast. So as well as in our day-to-day -day life, accessibility is so good for, we were talking about reliability, security is fast. SEO is, is, is improving. There is a bunch of other things around accessibility that can be beneficial. Uh, and we have a strong overlap with usability. We, we talk about this. Um, it is not the same accessibility that you that or accessible than usable. It could be usable, but it's not accessible um, because it could be a super big button that you know where to click, but it is not the correct semantics. Um, so there is a lot of disciplines that you need to to not to know, but to put in practice to make a website accessible and we are back to the uh, education is, is, is it a problem of education do we need to learn more um, about how to uh, produce digital products or is it this more than cultural change to understand that we need to 
build those products um, accessible. And then everything is learnable, right? You can always go to a documentation and read how to do things. Um, so yeah, it is it is a, it is an important topic. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I think we would be remiss to bypass this idea that one of the best ways to do accessibility testing of your software, perhaps the best way, is to get real users, especially users who need uh, additional accommodations to, to test your software um, and give you specific feedback. Because sometimes uh, a lot of the learnings that you have are not universal. Sometimes they're very contextual. They're contextual to just your user base or just your application. Um, and sometimes there aren't easily trackable patterns. I remember uh, some research being done uh, by, I believe it was Marcy Sutton, trying to de determine what the most accessible way was to do page transitions, and that the answer was pretty uh, not clear. It really depended on who you were talking to and what kind of technologies they were using and what their expectations had been and what kind of experiences they'd had up to that point. And so I think one of the pitfalls that people can get into is thinking that things are either accessible or not accessible, and then realizing that, okay, well, if I need user testing, well, we don't have budget and time for that, and uh, then I guess I'm just not gonna do any accessibility. Like, there are gradients here, um, and accessibility is really more of a journey. To be honest, there's nothing that's perfectly accessible. So exactly. we can only make progress in the right direction, I think is, should be, make it less intimidating to people. Yeah, there is no such as 100% accessible. What is accessible for you can, it might, it might not be accessible for me. Again, uh, to put an example, there are several color blindness and they are exclusive sometimes. So, so for someone who identifies yellow as red for whatever reason, then someone will identify yellow as blue. So definitely in a color contrast palette, then we, we have differences. And difference, we, we are talking about software. Not every application works the same. Not every screen reader works the same. So NVDA in Windows or VoiceOver in Mac, or even the uh, narrator in Orca uh, as a native in Windows and Linux works differently. So you never know if, if someone is using a, a shortcut to do something and then someone else is using this shortcut to do something else. There's just one thing. Um, the, the other thing is we, there's one, uh, fact that I think people are not understanding, which is you don't know your user. You don't know who you are building your product. To. You don't know if, 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 trust me, you don't know who's using your, your product. Even if you're building a product for a company of five people and you know them very good, it might be they onboard someone else. It might be that they want to share this product with another company because they want to share to, to show that they purchase your product. You really don't know your product. And the, the only way to build a good product is to build a good product for everyone since you don't know who's going to use it. Um, so, so it is important to, to, to have a couple of concepts uh, clear um, and the, the other one or, or one strong one is you are not building products for your company. You work for your company, but you don't build products for your company. You build products for real humans. Real humans are going to use your product 
your work for your company, your company gives you money, either if you're the owner, if you're an employee, uh, and we work for money. We chose our profession because of passion sometimes, but we work for money. Um, but we build products for humans. And, uh, and since we do, we, we need to have this human empathy. The same as if you, if you, if you are a textile manufacturer and then you build a, a T-shirt, you want the T-shirt to fit in everyone. So you're going to think on different sizes and you want the colors to be good combination. So you're thinking on someone in Europe and someone in US and someone in Africa. So you're thinking on internationalization. Okay, how can I build one design for a t-shirt that, that is everyone is going to like? It doesn't matter your culture. So if you're doing this one as a textile company, why don't we do it as a website company? Right? We, we don't know uh, from, from, from where you're going to access my product. So internationalization. Uh, we cannot uh, rely only on one language. Sometimes we cannot rely on a different um, set of icons because there's a lot of icons that means something different in different uh, com um, countries or cultures like burger menu or star or fingers or arrows. So, so we need to think about, again, you're building uh, products for humans and you don't know those humans. So the best way to, to build a good product is to build it accessible for everyone. Absolutely. And I want to use that to pivot now to this talk about automated accessibility testing um, and what was so intriguing about it to me. So when I first read uh, your blog post and, and, and watched your talk on it, uh, what was interesting to me was how quickly the parallel to performance budgets and performance uh, testing uh, appeared. That the, you know, it's gained some traction in the last several years. Developers have sort of adopted this idea of performance budgets and tying in um, some forms of performance testing into uh, their build systems or their CI/CD pipelines to be able to get that immediate feedback on whether performance is improving, staying roughly the same, or getting or, or getting worse with each with each commit with each PR. And the idea of being able to do any part of this with accessibility is so intriguing to me. Um, of course, it's not a perfect performance test in those tools. Just as we just said, this will not be a perfect accessibility test. So I was kind of curious if you could introduce what you were able to set up and, uh, and test and maybe what are the things it's best at tracking? Yeah, it is nice, the introduction that you made, because it, it, it looks like we are obsessed with uh, speed and performance and tracking and monitoring we have dashboards that tell us like milliseconds and all these things but i haven't seen much dashboards in companies who said how many linkedin rules are we breaking and how many accessibility errors we have in which pages um so access uh, automate um, tests doesn't matter if it's accessible but uh, automate tests are are super practical right it, it frees you and your team and your qa team if you have one to manually test everything. In the case of accessibility, it is not the paradise. So only 20 to 30% of the accessibility issues can be um, found via automated tests. But um, but it is a good, a good starting point. Again, if we can automate anything, 
then is saving us time to invest this time in something else. Um, and since we, uh, we've been obsessed with this performance and automating and everything, then we have something very now simple and practical with CICDs, right? We, we have our automations that happens on demand after a PR, after a commit, after a, before a release. So we can in, introduce the accessibility test inside our CICD. So let, let, let's go on a very small scale. You are an open source maintainer, a GitHub uh, repo that you put there, everyone loves it, but we have a community that is going to go and open issues and tell you, look, this library is awesome, but I thought about these 25 other features that you can build, and then you and then it's an open source, so someone else can build it. So someone else go and say, hey, I'm going to pick this issue. You want to be sure that your product, even if it's open source, is still accessible. But if someone else is doing a PR for your product, you're, you don't have time to, to review all those PRs to check if everything in this PR is accessible or not. Because it might be that you have a, a job to do. Um, and this is where it comes to CICD. You can be sure that every pull request that is, is done in your open source project, or if you scale it up in your company, in your big, super big monolith, uh, because it doesn't really matter where, uh, has to pass some different tests. And we build it every day. We pass regression tests. We pass integration tests and to end unit tests to see if a, if, if a function, if a method does or an API or a GraphQL query does what it needs to do. So the same as we do this, we can build a, a unit test, um, accessibility test, visual regression test for accessibility to pass every time that a PR is done. We we are with this one, we are sure that the code that someone else is doing, either even you, um, is passing those minimum accessibility tests. Again, minimum test. We are in a starting point here. Um, after that, what we can see is, is either pass the test, that means everything is good, and or either fail. And if they fail, then we can go to this terminal and check what is wrong here, how can I help. How can I fix this error? And the most important thing, how can I not make it again? Because I need to learn from those from those um, errors. So automate tests are, are very good. Uh, in the case of GitHub, we, uh, we can do it uh, via GitHub Actions. In the case you have some other CI CD, you have, I don't know, um, any other uh, automation, you can include this very easy. They're just scripts. What happened with automate uh, test? Well, first of all, they are automate. That means a machine is doing it. So we are losing the human part of manual testing. And since this is a machine, they can only test theoretical things. So far, I'm not going to talk about artificial intelligence here because we are not far enough with this topic in, in the industry. Um, yeah. But we are only testing if a set of rules, either a post-coding uh, with scripts or pre-coding with linters, uh, if you are doing in the, in, in the code editor, so 
we are not talking about CI/CD, but we are talking about while we, we code. But it's just a set of rules that we tell a machine, look, if this rule is broken, then alert me. In any way, break the, the release or show me a pop-up. Let's, let's make a very quick example. Every image should have an alternate text in a alt attribute in the IMG um, HTML element. Now, what can we test? We can test if the alt attribute is present, is there. We cannot test the quality of the content of the That's alt. That's right, yeah. We are, we are losing this human part on saying, um, is, the, is the content of the alternate text meaningful enough to describe correctly the image that you're putting? And only a human can do this. And again, I'm going to leave out artificial intelligence because it might be that we have at some point a, a proper a way of testing this one. Um, we can test if two colors um, together have a proper color contrast. But that doesn't mean that those two colors, again, and now we are not talking about accessibility. It might be that these two colors don't, don't go well together. This is now a part of a design part. And this design part, since design and I like it and I don't like it, is so, so subjective, we, we cannot say. If you, because you might like it and I don't. So this is the, this is the things that automate testing is, is missing, the human part. That, now, we can complement the automate testing with manually and simulation tests. That's why we need to understand that automate tests are part of the accessibility testing process. Okay, We need to manually test um, all this. But in the topic of, of automate tests, there are several super good um, tools uh, to name some, DQ made an excellent work with Axe, PA11Y, uh, Google uh, had Lighthouse, which is not a testing library. It is a reporting library, so it, it generates a report. We, we all know the report with the four scores, accessibility, performance, best practices, and P, um, PWA, Progressive Web App, and we see a score. We just click in the score, and then we see some information. Now it's it's up to you to read and act accordingly of what the report is telling you. But it's not a testing library. It's a reporting library. I'm kind of curious, you know, with these uh, automated tests and these, these uh, tools that you're using, is there the ability with what you've experienced so far and played around with to set, for example, the failure point, not necessarily to be the presence of any errors, but maybe to be, um, a regression or a move in the wrong direction? Because I think a lot of people listening to this might say, oh, that would be really cool, but I have a big existing project. I'm sure we have tons of errors. The first time we try to run a build and it gives me back a thousand errors, we're just going to turn it right back off. <laughs> but if I can set that as the baseline, I can make sure we're always moving in the right direction. Is, is that possible with the tools in your experience? Yeah. In the case of, of for example, Axe from DQ, um, you have two different things. One is the uh, severity level of each uh, violation, which is minor, moderate, critical, and recommendation. I, I don't remember the fourth one. 
again, so you can say, okay, I'm going to focus only in the critical ones or in the critical and serious. Minor, moderate, critical, serious, and critical. Critical and, ser and serious. Okay. Uh, I'm going to focus on these two because, again, I have like thousands of, of errors, but I need to start with something. My recommendation is don't get crazy. Just focus on, on the first, on the quick wins. So things that they are going to require not a lot of investing in time, but it's going to give you a lot of benefits. Um, and the other topic is the amount of rules that you want to test. So you can define how many rules and how many rule sets. For example, the WACAC, which are the accessibility guidelines. Um, you have AA, AAA, 2.0, 2.1. Depends on what you want to test. You can uh, reduce the amount of rules or differentiate between rule sets uh, to... Um, yeah, to, to test if your if your uh, website is uh, compliant with WACAC 2.1 AA or 2.1 AAA, whatever you want to arrive. But again, it's a starting point. If you arrive to some to to, to a different uh, a point, then you can always continue further. But but you can reduce um, at the beginning what you are what you are testing. Yes, that's great, uh, and I think that just helps. You know. Uh, sometimes these tools that are pass too much pass fail. We've already said accessibility is not a it's accessible or not accessible. Everything is not perfectly accessible, and we can only move it in the right direction. So uh, anything that can help teams uh, put this on is is good. Now the other part of this that I thought was super interesting, and I cannot believe I had not heard of this before, is the accessibility linter, um, which you know for a lot of teams is going to catch a bunch of issues. And the best part about it is, in my opinion, these linters are so good because they lead, they they help drive education on your team. It's you know people are going to do things well intentioned that they don't even know are necessarily uh, problematic, and they're going to be the linter is going to help send them in the direction of doing research of of learning. Um, and I think, I think that's just another benefit of this, which I find super fascinating because even in some of the examples that were in your blog post, I think I was like. I don't even know why that was showing up as a linting error. And then I went and Googled it and oh, that makes a ton of sense. You know, so I I really like that about the linters because again, they're not going to catch everything, but the things that they will catch are often going to be very simple to fix, missing alt tags or things of that nature. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, linter for me, I I really like linters. Uh for those who don't know what linters are, so a linter is a uh, is a library, a tool that you uh, can install as a dependency in your project or either globally in your editor. Um, and it, you can set a set of rules and you basically telling the, the code editor, look, whenever I'm breaking this rule, just let me know, tell me that this line of code is wrong because of this reason. And this is where you were talking about like, oh, I didn't know that I'm doing this mistake and I'm going to search um for this rule and why is this is 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 this uh, announcing me that this is an error um it is it is good because again we were talking about ci cd and automating and we can capture a lot of errors before releasing but post coding now we are talking about we are capturing a lot of accessibility issues before you even run the application so in the moment that you are typing and coding, you're going to find those errors. And this is very beneficial. 
first to you are going to educate yourself and say, ah, okay, I'm I'm learning while I code. I'm not going to do it again because I already have this two, three times. I'm not going to have it four or five. Um, you're going to learn about linters and it might be that you want to now say, oh, but I now I want a, a performance linter. Uh, so it's going to tell you, look, this, these loops uh, or this change of if are going to uh, have this, I don't know, whatever N um, performance issue. And then you, you're going to learn more about linters and is going to, uh, um, to prevent uh, even this code to be even executed. Um, so you don't even need to manually test it with a screen reader or, or an extension. So it's super, super useful. Um, there are several linters, uh, either if you use JavaScript or TypeScript, so ES in, in, in the case of JavaScript or TypeScript and PS. Um, actually, ES is, is, is now capturing all TypeScript errors. Um, there is ESLint uh, accessibility rules for ESLint. And this is very helpful for those who are um, developing with JavaScript or TypeScript. I recently, and I mean recently, mean last week, I we released in, in from my team, we released a, I think four or five, four or five, six new linting rules for accessibility for Ruby. Uh, so if you're working in Ruby and you want an ERB linter, uh, at GitHub we have an open source. Uh, project, which are basically our Ruby linter for us that we want to open source so everyone can can use it. Is um, cool. it is under GitHub.com slash GitHub slash ERB lint minus GitHub. Uh, so you have the ERB lint uh, rules there. Simple rules again. Uh, every image needs to have an alt. Every anchor link needs to have an href and a valid href. No redundant uh, content in the alt of the, of the of the images. For example, a lot of people are saying like, "Oh, the alt is picture of." Well, well, it is a picture, of course. Like, don't don't say picture of because it is a picture. Or image of, like, yeah, you, you don't need to. So, um, so simple linters that can uh, allow you to start building your own ones. Maybe wanting you to to learn more about about this topic. You know, it's interesting because I think some people might have the mistaken belief that running some sort of CI/CD automation or uh, a linter, for example, is just, um, it's valuable because it lets a machine do an equivalent amount of work to a human. But one of the reasons why I think this kind of technology is so exciting to talk about and for people to consider is because I would argue that it actually saves you significantly more time. And I don't just mean like an exact one-to-one. -one. I mean, it's not that a machine is doing what you would do. It's that... I don't think people fully appreciate the cognitive load that comes with trying not to make any mistakes. Try it once. Knowing that you have someone that's going to do a PR for you, a code review for you, or to review what you're doing, takes a massive mental load off of you compared to if somebody said, when you say you're done, I'm going to put your code in production. Trying not to make mistakes is very difficult and very stressful. And the reason why I so the reason why I love tools like this is because I like that it can take some of the obvious things that are some maybe sometimes easy to miss and let you focus in the PR on the human elements to re-inject yourself in the review process in the human elements. So exactly what you said, instead of worrying when I'm doing a PR, oh man, do they have all the alt tags? Is this the right way to use role? Is that 
I can't remember, you know, and you're, you're researching and you're investigating, you're not positive. So you're double checking everything. Instead, you can really focus on some of the more obvious things like, Hey, are these alt tags reasonable? Is this the right description for them? Like, Hey, how did this end up working out? You know, I love the fact that this will take a lot of load off of teams and put their att human attention on the more important aspects of this that those automated tests and the linters can't do. I mean, I don't know about you, but that, that just seems like a very exciting area of this for me. Yeah, they are basically enabling us to perform better and to perform our job better. Uh, again, we are talking about the time time invested versus benefits, right? So if you can if you can uh, reduce the time invested on that and you can improve the benefit that you're gonna get out of this one, then this is a good time. This is a good, good invested time on building a a, a proper um, automation. And again, of anything, if you want to automate an email every time that you receive a pull request with a different label, and this saves you a lot of time and it makes you your 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 work uh, life easier, do it because it's going to be very beneficial for your for your performance and your productivity. The same as as with accessibility. Uh, is going to to enable is to to enable uh, us to uh, to make our job better. I'm kind of curious um, as we get closer here to the end of the conversation to get a sense of how this has gone for you and for your teams. Um, I mean, I know that you were excited to do things like this, uh, but I think oftentimes developers, regardless, it's not just about accessibility, but anytime you put something between them and production, sometimes there is pushback. Uh, I'm kind of curious how that journey has gone for you and your teams that you've worked with, um, you know, with these kind of toolings, has it, uh, did they instantly jump on board? Did it, did it take some, some, um, you know, some coaxing? Did they eventually come around? Like how has been the sort of adoption and how have they taken to these tools? It is a journey. Um, you need to understand that not everyone is in the same boat as you are and, you need to you need to start from that base. Um, a lot of documentation, so it is super helpful to write proper documentation explaining to a fellow colleague that you know the audience. So again, it is a, another software engineer. So you know how what wording you're using, what kind of structure you're using. If you're uh, copying a piece of code, this is the piece of code that you need to to use and this is the piece of code that you don't need to use so i'm showing you the the incorrect element and the correct element so i'm writing proper documentation uh coaching so you okay i'm here for you i can we can pair we can uh talk about it i can educate you in the way that it bet it better fits for you um Another thing is building tools. I can build you the the, the LinkedIn uh, rules that works for you. What are you What are you doing? Are you doing a website that is very heavily in design, colors, images? Okay, let's decide a set of rules that works for you for your product. So we are talking about now architecture. We are talking about okay, what is the architect of the the architecture of the application, the front end architecture? Okay. Uh, do we have uh, very much dynamic content? Do we have very static content? We are talking about the same the same language, so we are making empathy with with, with the rest the rest of the team. Not everyone is on board at the beginning, but if you if you build this culture of whole team approach, 
we know about everything that I can cover you when I'm not here and you can cover me when I'm what so when I'm not here or I can cover you when you're not here um, then we are spreading the knowledge across the team and if you spread the knowledge again it, it might be that you have the knowledge and you don't have the cultural change I'm okay with that if you're doing your job properly and, and we are talking about if you're making a website accessible that means this is quality code and we software engineers are obsessed with quality code so if you're doing it because you like technically and it is for you is super performer performant perfect do it if you if you do it because you think you're doing the correct thing to do better but if you're doing it and you have an ambassador and in some in some other team because they feel that they are doing the correct thing then this is spreading spreading across the uh, the company and as well it needs to go either top bottom or bottom top it needs to go both directions so you need to have someone technically who said this is the correct thing to do but you need to have someone on top to say we are going to do this because we believe that this is the the way that this company wants to move um in in that direction great well, very quickly, we are getting here to the end. Usually we like to leave with some parting thoughts for people. Um, I'd love to hear yours, but I think for mine, you know, I just want to push people to say that it doesn't take much to get a team really excited about accessibility. I think a lot of people see it as an imposition, um, but I have been on teams. The teams that I learned the most about accessibility were from people that knew the least. Uh, and all that happened is one person got super excited, started reading a few of the WCAG guidelines, uh, started implementing some of them in the code and then just would get uh, nerded out every single time that they put something in and then show the rest of the team. And then that would sort of get the competitive juices flowing. And then someone else would say, okay, well now look at how nice I have this page set up and look at how nice I have this set up. And pretty soon you have this virtuous cycle of people just constantly trying to impress each other and surprise each other by what they've learned and what they've now been able to incorporate and how much smoother it is to use the, the system. So I think, you know, it doesn't take a lot to become that person. Even if you're sitting here listening to this, starting from nothing, uh, read the guidelines, uh, use some of these tools. Some of the very basic stuff uh, is very straightforward to learn and very, uh, very low hanging fruit, as was said before, uh, and just start and, 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 and get excited. Get excited for your team and, and be, you might be surprised by, you know, other people might get just as excited as you did. So. I always um, said the same uh, ending, which I really like, which is the same that you look around you and you are immediately aware of the barriers that you see. We are talking about, again, a building with a ramp or you're going into the street uh, and the walk side is super narrow. You have a, a tree in the middle that you say, wow, it, it cannot be true because someone with a wheelchair will never be able to, to pass here. Or someone who is blind with a, with a stick and a, and a dog uh, and a guide dog is, is, not, is not going to, to, to do it correctly. Try, whenever you're navigating now in, in the internet, try to start thinking about those barriers. You're going to go to Twitter and you have now the alt badge of every image, but you have no badge in the images that you don't have alt. Just count them. Count how, how many you see in, in the next five minutes. You go to a website and try to find those barriers. Try to find a, a button, a link that you read it and say, 
is this really clear enough? Is the is the uh, a link with the full telephone number meaningful enough, or would I prefer call the support team? Uh, would it be more meaningful for for someone who's who's not aware of the content of the of the website? Try to find this. But my final thought is, and again, I'm going to repeat it because I already said it. Like you are not building products and websites for your company. We are building products, digital products and websites for humans. And we need to focus on knowing that those humans are our users. Those are the people, these are the people who are going to use our product. So the only way that we can make a good product, it is an accessible product for everyone. Wonderful. Well, that is a great place to leave it. That is going to be it for us today. Thank you so much for listening to this modern web podcast on automated accessibility testing and just accessibility in general. Thank you, of course, to our guest, Adrian. As, as always, the conversation does not stop here. You can find him on Twitter at Bolonio. That's at B-O-L-O-N-I-O. You can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. We'll make sure to put the article and relevant video in the show notes in case you want to find out more about what we've been talking about today. But otherwise, we'll see the rest of you next time. Bye-bye. Come on. Come on, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Cause we got a show for you.